See, I didn't know she was going to sing from there. I brought the microphone, you know. <laughs> um, the, I titled the message, I don't know if some of you, I posted this on Facebook and five other places uh, just to get you going. And by the way, my notes are on Bible.com. If you, if you ever want to, you know, take a sneak peek, they become available at five in the morning on Sunday and they're up for four days. So uh, if you, if you want to follow along, you, you can do that. Not that I follow them all the time, but you know, you'll, you'll see the general guideline. Uh, the title uh, of the message, if you noticed on the bulletin, is Make a Decision for Life. And you know, usually a title like that is, is uh, associated with choosing life as far as uh, an unborn uh, child. And as important as that is, that's not what Jesus talks about today. He's talking about people in the world who are faced with a decision whether to choose life or to choose death and darkness. So as we sing, uh, please listen in the songs. Uh, chosen purposely just to kind of encourage our hearts to know that no matter how dark the world gets, we have the light of Christ to help us through it. So if you can, if you would uh, stand and, and praise and give glory to God, watch the white path. Um, I also offered to ha um, do some introduction of the songs for a pastor so that he can get settled at the drums and everything. Um, and I know Chip does it every week, but uh, I like to look into the background of the songs myself anyway and see how they're written, why they're written, when they were written, things like that. And uh, this is one of those songs that was written by Matt Redman in the past few years. And he says, I wrote this song with my wife, Beth, and it's special to us because it helped us make it through a very hard season in our lives. It was written in a really intense week where Beth had a miscarriage, and it was also the, uh, the week of the London bombings. There are times when everything in life seems to be breaking and shaking apart, and that old, age-old psalmist cry of, how long, O Lord, how long, is echoing through your soul. But in our darkest moments, God is as kind, caring, and in control as he ever was. The song for us was really a way of reminding ourselves that there's a God who never lets go of us. Through the times of calm, through the stormy times, our God will never let us go. And if we're wise to worship him, we'll never let go of him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near. And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Oh no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh no, you never let go in every high and every low. Oh no, you never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. And I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. A glorious light beyond all compare. And there will be an end to these troubles. But until that day comes, we'll live to know you here on the earth. And I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. And if my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? 
pull up what I wrote. <laughs> uh, I like history. I like to figure out why things are the way they are today. Uh, so I looked up the reasons why this song was written, and I found an interview with one of the people from Hillsong. They said they took the, so the song from many Bible verses, um, all through the different books of the Bible, through the different sections of the Bible, um, but this, the title specifically came from Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 17. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will sing to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hang hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice with you over you with singing. I like that. <laughs> Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior, the hope of nations. Savior. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures, fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in, now I surrender. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine a light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. All 
right, I'm going to try to slow down a little bit. I know I was talking fast the last time. Um, I've known this this song since I was a little girl, um, and looking it up a little bit more last night, um, I I saw that it was written by Charles Wesley, which I knew. Um, it was written right around the time of his real spiritual conversion. Um, he had been a minister before, and someone came to him and actually explained the gospel to him more directly, and he realized that he wasn't believing that. He was just talking about it. And uh, after he um, really converted, uh, you know, in that way, um, he wrote this along with another song um, right after that point. Um, but the poem itself is 300 years old, and the language is uh, a little old. Um, <laughs> so I thought I would try to translate it, update the word a little bit. Um, now, it's not going to be an exact match, so, you know, if you read something else into the song, that's fine. Uh, but here's my part of it. Um, how can I have a part in this salvation plan? Look what it cost. Christ died for me. He took on pain for me. Simply because he loved me, he looked for a way, any way, that I could be with him. He chased after death for me. Only divine, amazing love could cause a God, my God, to die for me. <laughs> and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me?
for our scripture reading this morning. Uh, it's just very short, a couple of verses. Whoops, here we go. This is Psalm 62. I expanded on this in prayer meeting this past week. It's really a tremendous psalm. You can read the rest when you, when you get home. But listen, you know, we all go through troubles in life, don't we? And uh, there's no such thing as a problem-free life. Uh, if you, if you want to live a problem-free life, you have to go into a monastery and be alone. Um, because when you associate with people, there's going to be problems. Plus the fact, when you associate with yourself, there's going to be problems, right? So, what this psalmist is saying, uh, this was written by David, by the way, when he was being chased in the desert to be killed. He was anointed king already. <clears throat> and the reason why I uh, chose this psalm is because um, most people, I believe, in this day and age would say that uh, our country's in trouble. And I know there's some people who don't believe that, but uh, most people would say our country's in trouble. Not only that, families are in trouble. We know that. We know, we know that the unborn is in trouble. We know that uh, corruption is running rampant. We know, we know these things, right? In Solomon's words, nothing much has changed. Uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The question is, what do we do when trouble finds us, right? David had the answer. Truly my soul finds rest in God. Can we read that again together? Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Wow. God is the one who is willing to provide us rest, even in times of trouble. My problem is that in times of trouble, I forget that. Maybe you do too. And I have to be reminded, but look at verse 2, right? Truly, he is my rock, my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Well, here's where faith comes in. Because when we face adversity or we face problems, even problems we bring on ourselves, Either we go running to God or we're going to go run elsewhere and we're going to make mistakes when we run elsewhere. We see the uh, effects, unfortunately, of drug addiction and uh, uh, not only of drug addiction but alcohol abuse and now people are getting drugged and they don't even know it, right? Uh, what a shame. But we run to entertainment, we run to um, uh, escapes. And rather than doing that, why don't we run to God? Now, I could tell you that every time I faced an issue, I haven't always run to God. And to be honest, it was stupid of me not to. That's why I have to come back to Psalms like this. If you remember David in the uh, desert, I mean, he, he had a tough. Um, Saul was trying to kill him. His own family was trying to kill him. But the key to David is the fact that he never turned his back on God. He, he voiced his objections, didn't he? He voiced his feelings, and that's fine. And God gives us liberty to do that. But God works with him to bring him back. In fact, the end of the psalm is just like this. Truly, you are my rock and my salvation. And so, uh, we, we need to hear that. You know, we think we have all the time in the world. And um, unfortunately, you all know the story of the uh, submarine that went down to the Titanic. Um, apparently was not structurally sound and um, in a heartbeat was it five people I think it was right uh, gone 
in a heartbeat. We don't know, right? We don't know. And my concern, uh, you know, is this. You know, I don't know the spiritual condition of any one of them. God knows. But my concern is this. When, when we hear, when we're confronted with Jesus, Billy Graham used to say this all the time. And the older I get, the more I know he knew what he was talking about. When he used to have the, uh, the meetings and the gatherings, he would say, for some of you, Jesus will not pass by again. He's here. Now is the time. Now is the time to choose life through faith in Christ. And those are great words. We, we just don't know. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will never be shaken. And so, listen, if you're going through bad times, read that entire psalm. Um, and then read Psalm 63 with it. Uh, I think we're doing Psalm 63 this week. I'm not sure. But um, read Psalm 63 with it, and uh, God will encourage your heart through it. Next Sunday, before I forget, we're going to be doing our 4th of July celebration. Okay. So um, come and, you know, we'll sing a couple of uh, patriotic songs. And it's good to be patriotic. All right. But don't let patriotism develop into its own cult. In other words, we can be patriotic, but our primary focus has to be Jesus Christ. And that's, that has to be it. In fact, I believe the only hope for our country is in Christ. So we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. Can I have the men uh, or whoever is going to help with the offering? I got to get out of that men thing. Because we've had women help with the offering. So. Um, before we pray, would you allow me to pray for the families of those who were lost in that uh, tragic accident? Let's pray. Oh, Father, uh, I don't know very much about those who perished in the submarine, but I, I do know, Father, that the families they leave behind are grieving. And Father, I, my prayer is that even through a tragedy like this, you would bring comfort and peace and that some, even through this tragedy, would understand how, how delicate life is and that Jesus Christ wants us to live life through him, by faith in him. So we pray for those families that you hold them close and, and, and you bring comfort to them in this, in this horrible time. And Father, I pray uh, for the people who are not here today. Uh, some are ailing, some are away, and I would just ask that you bless them. If they're watching by Facebook, Father, pray that the service would bless them. And Father, for the people we meet, as we're in ShopRite or Walmart or wherever we go, may you open up opportunities for us to point them to the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they may choose life. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the thanks. Bless the offering, Father. Bless the gift and the giver. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you well know, uh, we're entering into a season of debates, political debates. The, the problem with debates, 
I mean, there's no problem with it. You should be informed. You should know, you know, what's going on. Uh, however, uh, maybe it's because of my old age and, you know, I've gotten a little bit more cynical, maybe a little bit more wise. During these debates, it's tough sometimes to discern who's telling the truth. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, you know, you, somebody who's a good debater can probably sell you uh, oceanfront property in Arizona. Um, but, you know, debates are necessary, especially, you know, going forward in our political process. And, you know, you should be informed. But do you realize there's a debate going on every day between the world and God, between the world and Jesus Christ? In fact, if you have your Bibles, if you don't make a note of this, and you can look uh, later on, but in um, John chapter 8, starting at verse 12, right through the end of that chapter, there's a series of debates. Jesus debating with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, some people. But the key here is to know that when Jesus debates, what he says is true. There's no, nothing false about him. He wasn't running for office, was he? Can you tell me what Jesus' office is? He's got three of them, by the way. Anybody? No, it's not an office. That's who they are. Who else? Prophet, priest, king. That's, that's who Jesus is. He has those three offices. Prophet, priest, and king. I mean, that's his whether we vote for him or not. Does that make sense? Okay. He's Jesus. But the world continues this debate over, over Jesus. Who was he? And who is he? And, you know, was he, was he just a, a, a teacher? Was he a charlatan? Was he a liar? Was he this? Was he that? And you see some of that coming out in, in this chapter. But I want to suggest to you this morning, whatever side of the debate you, can, you come out on, it's a life or death decision. It's a life or death decision. Hi, Willa. And in saying that, if you choose not to believe Christ, we're going to live in darkness on this earth, and we're, we're doomed to eternal life. Uh, I'm sorry, eternal damnation in, in hell. By the way, heaven and hell are real. All right? There's uh, many churches, unfortunately, now teaching that heaven and hell aren't real, but they're real. You realize that um, uh, in the Bible, hell is talked about more often than heaven. And money is talked more often than any other subject in the Bible. And there's a reason for that, because how we handle our money shows where our priorities are. And so, in this debate, this is the most serious debate anybody's going to face in their life. Who is Jesus? Wow. The Pharisees did not handle it very well. Did not handle it very well. And I want to go through, through that with you. Verse 21, chapter 8. This is now starting another debate right after the Feast of Tabernacles. Once more, Jesus said to them, who's them? The Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the priests, those who were religious. Okay? By the way, you could be religious and still wicked. <laughs> he says, I am going away. And you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. He's saying this to the religious leaders. I'm going away. Where's Jesus going? He's going to be back sitting at the right hand of his father. Correct? And he says, you will look for me, but you won't find me. You will die. In your sin, where I go, you cannot come. 
what Jesus is saying, he's trying to tie up all of this chapter now in the next several debates, and he's saying, look, if you reject me, the Messiah, the one who's fully God, fully man, you're not going to be in heaven where I am. How much more plain could Jesus be? Right? You know, one of the frustrations of communication, I think, is um, every, everyone, you know, in a position of communication where if you're a pastor, uh, if you're a teacher, if you're a professor, you know, and you're communicating to people, you want to be as clear as possible. But there are sometimes and I feel this as a pastor, I, can, I, I believe I'm clearly teaching what the Bible teaches, and to get your attention, sometimes I have to stand on my head. I can't imagine what Jesus felt here. He was being so plain to them. He says, look, you're religious. You're counting on your self-righteousness, your image, your works to get you in heaven, but I'm telling you, you reject me, who came to die for your sin, you can't come where I'm going to come, where I'm going to go. And so, picture yourself a Pharisee, right? That was a scandal to them. Jesus was saying publicly in the tabernacle, in the court of the women, by the way, where there was the most activity, Listen, you religious PhDs, you guys who are so consumed with your own image and self-righteousness, you're thinking you're going to get to heaven on your own merit. You're believing the lie of a devil. That's what he's saying. You believe the lie of a devil. You know what they heard? Look at verse 22. This made the Jews ask, will he, he kill himself? They thought Jesus was talking about maybe committing suicide. That's not what Jesus was talking about at all. And, and they say, is this why he says, where I go, you cannot come? See, in, in, in the uh, Pharisaical uh, and Jewish tradition, they believe that if you commit suicide, that you, uh, you automatically go to hell. And of course, the Pharisees weren't going to hell, so they thought. So they say, what does he mean? You know, when he says, where I go, you cannot come. Is he going to hell? Is he going to kill himself? I mean, that's, that's, you know, basically what he's saying. And then look at this. But he continued. We're going to have to unpack this a little bit, okay? You are from below. He's talking to the Pharisees and the, and the priests. You are from below. In other words, you live in this present evil age, and not only do you live in it, you exemplify it in your life. How do I know that? You are below. I am from above. Jesus came from where? Heaven, right? You are of this world. I am not of this world. Remember this. Jesus was in this world in the flesh, fully God, fully man, but never of it. He was never forced into the world's system. He was never forced into self-righteousness. He was never forced into a, uh, a theology of, of good works like the Pharisees were. I am not of this world. One of the biggest problems in the North American church, I believe, and I see it all the time, and I get very upset over it, I'll be honest with you, is that uh, in the North American church, we still believe we can live very, very well in both worlds. We think we can, you know, play with the culture and succumb to them and, and still keep our foot in Christianity, no, we can't. It's impossible. And when we have that, that, 
that belief. We submit to the philosophy of the Pharisees, and here's the way it goes. You think that, well, you know, I'm doing more good than, than the world is. I'm okay, even if I put my foot in the world for a little bit, I'm still doing more over here. No, you're not. <laughs> I, we are tolerating within the church more of the world as each and every day passes. And it's a problem. It really is a problem. We are tolerating um, believers who profess to be believers who live together out of wedlock. We are, we, we are propagating uh, in some churches, never in this church, we are propagating uh, that um, a gay lifestyle is normal. Uh, no, it's not. And it's not legitimized. The Bible calls it sin. We, we are, you know, some churches are propagating that um, we're all inclusive. <laughs> well, the gospel is inclusive. That's what they miss. Because Jesus died for everyone. But the only ones who are forgiven of their sin are the ones who repent of their sin and put their trust in what Jesus did for them on the cross. Oh, that's too, too exclusive. No, it's not. And unfortunately, it's churches that are, are teaching actively that everybody goes to heaven. Doesn't matter. I'm okay, you're okay. It's kind of the reverse of the Pharisees, because the Pharisees would, would hold themselves up and say, we're the ones that deserve heaven. Uh, no, you don't deserve it. Neither does somebody who thinks God saves everyone. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. To compound the issue, the schools, the universities, have taken upon themselves to teach morality to young people. They're teaching them the wrong morality. They're teaching them that uh, lewdness and sin is okay. And if you don't accept it, there's something wrong with you. Huh. No. You know, Jesus never accepted sin, did he? But he always held out the alternative. Repent and believe. Your sin will be forgiven. You'll have new life and new purpose. And that can only come through him. In verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you, not, if you do not believe I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, I want to ask you again, how much more clear can Jesus be? All right? In fact, he could have just said this, and this would have said the Pharisees right off the edge. He, would, he could have said this, if you do not believe that I am. <laughs> Who did God tell Moses he is? I am. If you do not believe, you will indeed die in your sins. You know, I, I, I can't emphasize this too much because, uh, listen, we were, we were in a, um, a store yesterday picking up a few things, and um, a woman walked into the store with a saying on her shirt, which had to be the most obs obscene saying I've ever read in public. I mean, it was, I, I, you know, we, we've lost all sense of decency. We've lost all sense of understanding that God gets offended by sin. We lost all sense of that. Even in the church sometimes. Now, I didn't go up to her and you know, get in her face and say, you know, your shirt offends me. I, I prayed for her. 
All right? She's doing what the world is doing. Go up to Seaside Boardwalk. You can buy shirts like she was wearing. But you wear the shirt with Jesus on it, well, you're one of those freaks. Well, I'm going to reiterate what Paul said. I'd gladly be a fool for Jesus. We have to be careful. We catch the culture like we catch a cold. We don't realize it. And that's why we have to examine the word of God. The Pharisees, the religious people, people who they looked up to, the theologians of the time, had Jesus right in front of them. In the flesh, fully God, fully man, the Messiah. He was plain as can be, and they rejected him. They rejected him. And Jesus goes on. And here's the key question the Pharisee is, who are you? You see this all the time around Easter and Christmas, Life Magazine or Time Magazine or uh, Oprah or whoever, you know, will we'll usually put out uh, a, a magazine during the holidays. Who is Jesus? Who are you? I wish we could do a man on the street. Remember what Steve Allen used to do, right? He used to do man on the street. And, you know, send somebody out and say, Who, who's Jesus? Who do you say he is? You would get an inc incredible amount of answers. Who are you? They just didn't get it. I want to suggest to you that it was your self-righteousness and pride that blinded them. It blinded them to the truth. You remember Jesus in that same chapter says, I am the light of the world. There's no light brighter. I am the light of the world. They were so blinded they couldn't even see the light. Pride and self-righteousness will do that all the time. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus Said. He said, look, how many times do you have to hear it? How many times do you have to see it? And how many times will you reject it? <laughs> One of the joys of teaching, you know, at least for me, is to go over some concepts and, and to see when people get it. I mean, you were a teacher, right? And, you know, teaching music and the concepts, and they get it. You feel like jumping up and down. But sometimes, you know, you can teach somebody until they're blue in the face. If they're not receptive, they're just not going to get it. The Pharisees were not receptive. They were, they were not only blind, but they were intellectually stupid. Now, there was a time where I was, too. All right? So I'm not being real hard on them. I'm just being true. I want to suggest to you a lot of what's in our culture today is intellectual stupidity. It's intellectual stupidity. Well, there's 74 genders. Science proves it. Well, no. Science proved just the opposite, by the way. And all a pure scientist observes God's creation. That's what science is. There's two genders, male and female. There's the XX chromosome, the XY chromosome. And well, the science doesn't say it. I don't care what science says. Who's got the final word here? The creator of life. You see, this is what it all boils down to. Who has the final word? And if it's not the Bible, then we're lost. Jesus has been telling them over, and he's, he's giving them every chance in the world, right? He says, I have, to, I have much to say in judgment of you. <laughs> he says, but he who sent me is trustworthy, meaning the Father. The Father can't lie. 
Jesus being fully God, fully man, being the essence of the Father, he can't lie, right? And he's saying, and what I have heard from the Father, I tell the world. So Pharisees, when you debate me like this, I'm telling you the truth, and you're spreading lies. I'm just real glad I can go to a place where I can hear the real truth. It's in the scriptures. When it's rightly interpreted, it's the real truth. And then it goes on to say, oops. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know I am he. And that I do nothing of my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. What, is, what does Jesus mean when the Son of Man is lifted up? What does that mean? Does anybody know? Hung on the cross. Right? If you remember how, how people were crucified, the cross would be on the ground. They would nail uh, the person to the cross, and then they would lift the person up. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you see that I came to die for your sin in your place, then you will know I am he and that I do nothing of my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. And the Pharisees were so deluded with themselves, they just couldn't understand this. Well, Jesus didn't leave him there because, I mean, he died on the cross. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? And they just didn't comprehend that Jesus had to die for their sin. Jesus didn't invent this. This was the plan of the Trinity even before the fall. God is so gracious that he doesn't give up on his creation, that he provided a way for when sin came into the world and we inherited Adam's sin, that there's a way of reconciliation back to God. And his name is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Right? The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed him. Huh. That's the positive part of this, that many who were listening to this debate Say, so, you know, no, it's Jesus. He really is the Messiah. And they believed in him. They trusted him. These were sinners that the Pharisees looked down on. They were sinners who the Pharisees would think they had no hope of eternal life. And yet, as he spoke, many believed. Now, in all fairness, we know of two Pharisees at, le uh, at least who believed ultimately, Nicodemus being one of them, and Joseph of Arimathea being the other. But I want you to consider this. When they came to faith in the Messiah, they had no more future in Judaism. They sealed their faith. But they understood the salvation was not through good works. It wasn't through keeping the law to the T, which the Pharisees say they did but never did. But it was about repentance and faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the church, I believe, has lost its momentum. A lot of churches, not just this church. But we lost our momentum because um, 
We're not taking this message to the world like we should. We're not taking this message to people we meet. We're not taking this message to people who need the Lord. Listen, <laughs> um, Joey and I have a, a, a standing inside joke, so he'll get this. If there's anybody, anything you remember today, remember this. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone. I did. You did. People out there, though. And he makes the same offer to everyone. Let's not get caught up in the pressure of the world. Let's not get caught up to, to you know, be one of those things. Listen, you know, you're free to live any way you want. That's fine, you know. However, I will say this. If we have any aspirations of, have, uh, of a relationship with God, then we're not free to live any way we want. We're free to, to come to Christ spiritually bankrupt, offering nothing, knowing that he went to the cross to die for my sin. And then we're truly free. Next week, you know, we're going to talk about freedom. And um, Jesus, in the next debate, by the way, if you want to read ahead, talks about this. We, we have a document, which is a great document, the Declaration of Independence, correct? And that Declaration of Independence was written for a number of reasons. Primarily, um, it was a statement that we wanted to separate ourselves from England because we did not want to be obligated to be told how to worship. And so the declaration ensued, and then, of course, you know, the, the war with England and, you know, the Revolutionary War. Um, and ultimately, that war was won. But I think we get twisted up in our thinking sometimes. Even though we had a declaration of independence to, to be free in this country, which is the right thing to do, our true freedom is dependence on Jesus Christ, period. Because then we're truly free to obey him, lovingly obey him. So for us, our independence is dependence on the one who came to save us, on the one who came to give us eternal life, on the one who came to give us Forgiveness and the one who came to usher us into eternal life when he calls us home. As far as I know, all the great leaders are, are, who have died are in their graves. All the religious leaders, including the Pharisees who have died, are still in their graves and and if they died without Christ, they're condemned forever. But there's only one I know that conquered the grave, that conquered sin, death, and Satan, and his name is Jesus. And he offers to us, by grace alone, through faith alone, Forgiveness and eternal life. So I'm going to reiterate the words of Joshua. Choose you this day who you will follow. Are we going to follow the world system or are we going to follow Jesus Christ? Listen. I'll fill you in on some of the madness of the songs I picked, okay? He, uh, you never let go. Jesus doesn't want to give up on anybody. That's why he went to the cross. God doesn't want to give up on anybody. It's God's desire all would be saved. But the salvation comes on God's terms, not ours. 
right? God is mighty to save. Don't write anybody off. You're not the final judge. Until the last breath that a person takes this hope of salvation. So don't write anyone off because Jesus is mighty to save. And then for those of us who have been saved by grace, we have to stand back just like Charles Wesley did and affirm that we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve our salvation. Amazing love, how can it be? That thou, my God, would die for me. And then as we come together on Sundays, and my prayer is that, we'll, that more people would come out. As we get together on Sundays, then we can really, really lift the roof and sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. The reason why I picked that song is because he is the I am. And there's power in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. As they come up, if you would stand, raise the roof. If you sing badly, sing even worse. It all is a joyful noise to Christ. Lady, if you can give you, give you a microphone. <laughs> As we dismiss today, um, listen, summer's here, correct? Stay safe, stay cool, stay hydrated, but most of all, stay in the Word of God. Run to Him. He's our shelter. He's, he's our rock. Let's stop treating Jesus like one who has to give us what we want. Let's ask Him how we can serve Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for these dear people who came out. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. And Father, as we look forward to next week, as Jesus really defines what freedom is, help us, Father, to get a greater understanding of how free we are in Christ. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the glory. And all God's people said? Amen. Not bad. You're dismissed. Enjoy the day. <laughs>